Welcome to the Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for tuning in for Community Amplified and more music discovery tonight. We're going to start our back-to-school series with the student journalists of Salt Lake Community College and Amplify Utah. The nonprofit is headed by SLCC's Marcy Young-Cancio. It's a new journalistic storytelling and media literacy project with a focus on storytelling by and about underrepresented groups. Tonight, Andrew Christiansen, whose story laptops are coming to students in SLCC prison education program, was recently published by the Salt Lake Tribune. Plus, Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment on why they think the state of Utah, and therefore you and me the taxpayer, should spend upwards of $40 million to add air purifiers to classrooms statewide. The new KRCL studios are slowly starting to come together, folks, but we are at the mercy of the supply chain, as well as city inspections and permits. Best guess for starting to train everybody on the new studio setup is sometime after Labor Day. So once that's done, the radioactive community co-hosts will rejoin me here on the show. For more details, visit our website, krcl.org. While you're there, take a look at the Growing Songs of Summer playlist you all are building up with me. To add one of your favorites, you just call my Songs of Summer hotline, 385-800-1889, and leave me a voicemail. Be sure to include some flair, your first name and neighborhood, then be the DJ and dedicate your song to someone you love, a cause you support, or offer up some musical inspiration, okay? Here's one from our first guest tonight, student journalist Andrew Christiansen. Yeah, I wanted to play um, Baby You're a Star by Adult Prom. So this song is, Adult Prom is an indie rock band from Salt Lake, local. Um, and I think the reason I love this song so much is just, just because of how listenable it is and, and how intriguing the lyrics are. And, and I wanted to dedicate this song to the, to the music venue, Kilby Court, which I'm sure everyone knows um, is the heart of a Salt Lake music scene that I think, you know, personally is growing very quickly. Um, I saw Adult Prom play at Kilby a couple weeks ago for their debut album release show, and it was, it was super fun. So this is Baby You're a Star, Adult Prom, My Songs of Summer Pig for KRCL 90.9. KRCL invites you to support back-to-school supply drives, like that of the Community Action and Fellowship Foundation. Drop off backpacks, notebooks, pens, paper, lightly used laptops, phones, and flash drives at Uprock 1594 South State Street in Salt Lake City by August 20th. You're listening to the Radioactive Summer Break on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Tonight, we start our back-to-school series featuring student journalists at Salt Lake Community College. They're also part of the Amplify Utah project, which in turn works with the Salt Lake Tribune to publish their stories to a broader audience. Andrew Christiansen's story is about laptops and incarcerated education. Here's our conversation. Hey, my name is Andrew Christiansen, and I'm a journalism student at Salt Lake Community College. Um, I story with the Amplify Utah Project, and the Salt Lake Tribune is Laptops Are Coming to Students in Slick Prison Education Program. Andrew, it's a pleasure to see you again. I believe you've been on the show before talking about your work. In fact, you're at The Globe as a staff writer and will be an assistant editor for this next academic semester. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me on again. So what interested you in this topic? Because I'm always curious about assignment versus interest, you know, walking a beat as a journalist 
versus being an enterprising journalist and finding stories in the community. So how did you come across this one? Yeah, well, initially I had um, David Bakavoy, who's the prisoner, or sorry, he's the director of prison education um, at Salt Lake Community College. I had him for a teacher, I had him for a teacher in a history class. I think it was spring of uh, 2020, I guess that semester when everything went wrong. Um, and he, at, at first, that's when I, I got to know him and he talked about the prison education program. And I was just really intrigued about how much it had grown in such little time and, and also just the importance of, of the prison education program as far as like reducing recidivism rates and, and just something that I think all um, prisoners should have access to. Yeah, as a, as a student at the, at the college, but also a journalist, you're constantly thinking of, oh, that'd be a good story. That'd be a good story. And it sounds like you found a good one. So a lot of folks, I'm going to speak broadly here, think, you know, you're going to do the crime, do the time, no help, nothing. But education, as you learned in this story, helps reduce recidivism. So how big is this program and what happened with COVID? Yeah, it's a it's grown to be one of the biggest in person um, programs, um, prison education programs in the country. Um, and as far as how it directly reduces um, recidivism rates, there's a, a study that I cited in my article by the Rand Corporation that said that if you're involved in any form of education um, in prison, that it reduces recidivism rates, which are you know the rate that people go back to prison after they've gotten out. Um, by 43%. So I thought that was that was really impressive. Um, and then also COVID, as far as the, the impact of COVID, obviously it's it's been hard for them as an in-person prison education program and their numbers reduced um, massively, but it also pushed them to um, look for other ways to, um, I guess, teach these things virtually as well and be able to give uh, more technology access to the prison education um, students. So that's why the 100 laptops, which have been received now at the Draper Prison, um, why that happened in the first place. So pre-COVID, they had, according to your story, about 250 students each semester in the in-program classes. That stopped last fall. And then bringing them back, being able to add that technology into it is going to be able to help them bring people back online in their educational pursuits that much more quickly. So it was an anonymous donor, I understand. Yeah, correct. Were you able to suss that out? <laughs> uh, no, I was not. I, I don't know who it was, but yeah. Uh, so what are the students in these classes saying? Um, yeah, so that's, that was a cool part of the story is I, I was able not to talk to them directly, but um, see these testimonies um, from students who have um, been in the program. And I think that was a really, I guess, telling way, you know, not just through the statistics of how it reduces recidivism rates, but personal experiences. Um, and I guess that like anecdotal um, sort of reasoning for why prison education is important. Yeah, one in particular said that he's keeping it to himself so that he can present his certificate to his mother. Right, for Mother's Day, yeah. I thought that was a, a very nice touch. So from these testimonials, as well as Bakua, who runs the program, it sounds like you're understanding the, the, the humanity in these inmates. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's at the core of it, um, because we can talk about statistics all day long. But at the end of it, you know, if we're talking to, we're getting these testimonials from people who have been 
through the program and they've had a good experience and it's positively impacted them and maybe sent them in a better direction when they, they get out of prison. I think that's really, really good. One thing I learned from your story that I didn't know before was the effect of the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994 under the Clinton era and how that completely dampened the pursuit of education in the prison system. And now is it the CARES Act that uh, has is bringing back access to Pell Grants for inmates? Right. I think it was last December. It was uh, Congress passed the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2021. So that um, included the FAFSA Simplification Act, um, which allows incarcerated people to qualify for Pell Grants. So which had been previously banned, like you're saying, since the, the bill that Clinton passed in 1994. So I'm curious about a follow on on that, because do the inmates apply for that? Or does it go through the prison education system to help offset the costs of educating inmates? There's a follow for you, right? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to look into that more, but I, I assume it's a it's probably a combination of both. But mm. there was a dollars and cents figure in your story. I'll take a minute here to find it about the initial cost versus the return on this investment. Yeah, no, I think that was. Again, I mean, the personal stories are very important, but I think as someone who enjoys statistics a lot, that um, I guess really um, sells the point. Um, and they said that, this is from the RAND Corporation, that the per person cost of prison education programs is um, between $1,400 and $1,700. Um, and, and I guess this is just kind of why Bakwood believes it just makes sense for taxpayers to prioritize higher education because it's, it saves more money in the long end, um, which is something that's maybe hard to, to realize when you're not thinking about in the future. As you noted from the RAND Corporation study, for every dollar invested in correctional education, they, meaning we, the taxpayer, save nearly five in reincarceration costs over the next three years. And another interesting statistic that you also found was how much on average an inmate earns a day. So here you got this cost of fourteen to $1,700 per person in the correction education system, but they're only making how much a day? Right, so it's 80, it's said that the average of the minimum daily wages paid to incarcerated workers for non-industry prison jobs is 86 cents. So that is um, ridiculously low. <laughs> ridiculously low. Well, a great story. And again, it published as part of the new collaborative, including nonprofits Amplify Utah and the Salt Lake Tribune. We'll put a link in tonight's show notes so folks can check out the story for themselves, Andrew. But uh, what are you working on next since you are a staff writer at The Globe at Salt Lake Community College and you'll be an assistant editor soon? Yeah, I'm working on stories um, every week. I've been putting out stories this past summer on The Globe, but my most recent one is a, is a profile on Dr. Kinney Kinney, who is the Chief Diversity Officer at Salt Lake Community College. So that's that, that was a very exciting story to do and, and just put out there in the world. Do you like that as a journalist, you can ask anybody anything you want and it's like, hey, it's my job? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's a plus of it. I think I'm still getting used to the, the interview process and you know asking hard questions and how to go about that. But it's, it's definitely an exciting job. Well, moving, uh, adding on assistant editor duties, you really see how the sausage is made. And I'm just kind of curious, what's your, what's your hope or your fears as you progress in your journalism career? Yeah, I mean, I guess that the constant fear is, 
you know, even though that I've, I've gotten these really cool opportunities to be published in the Salt Lake Tribune and work for the Globe is before this year, I had never really written journalistically. I didn't really have any experience with that. So I'm just trying to learn my best, you know, and, and try to put out good stories. Um, so I think I'm just going to try to take this new role as, a, as another learning experience and practice giving feedback and, you know, that always helps in your own writing. So I think that'll be a really good experience. Andrew Christiansen of Salt Lake Community College and Amplify Utah. Check tonight's show notes for a link to his story, which the Salt Lake Tribune recently published. And if you're on any of the community college's 10 campuses throughout the state, be sure to pick up an old-fashioned hard copy of The Globe, Student Voices and Views for the Salt Lake Community College Community. Their fall edition includes stories about back-to-school essentials, tips and info for success at SLIC, exploring internship opportunities from D.C. to Salt Lake City, and more. My thanks to Marcy Young-Cancio for connecting me with Andrew. Marcy is the Salt Lake Community College Assistant Professor of Journalism and Digital Media and the founder and executive director of Amplify Utah. I'm Laura Jones, and when we come back on the radioactive summer break, Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment and their back-to-school call for classroom air purifiers. I just put the first KRCL bumper sticker on my car, and now I'm sporting KRCL wherever I go. I officially am a part of the KRCL family. Hi, I'm Trina Baghumian, KRCL's new Director of Underwriting and Special Events. If you own or manage a local business, I would love to connect you with our listeners. With thousands of sets of ears tuned to our station each week, your message will reach folks who value and support Utah's local business community. Become a KRCL sponsor today. Email me at trinab at krcl.org. This is the Radioactive Summer Break on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. Democracy Now! comes your way at 7 o'clock tonight. Barbie and Vagabond Radio at 8. Late Night Lowdown with Connor at 10.30. Super Sounds with Chovy at 1. And John Florence serves up your brand new day at 6 a.m. Our program lineup online at krcl.org, where you can also get the last two weeks of any show on demand. My last conversation this evening is with two doctors from Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment, which says putting an air purifier in every classroom statewide is now an urgent necessity, given air quality and the pandemic, and that doing so can help keep schools open and students, teachers, and school staff safe. I talk all about that in this next conversation with my guests, UHPE's president, Dr. Brian Mensch, and Dr. Tom Nelson, a board member and an emergency room physician. Recently, Governor Spencer Cox called on or promised that he would get KN95 for students under the age of 17, as we all know, uh, youth not yet approved for the vaccine under the age of 12. So, Dr. Mensch, is that enough or is it time for air purifiers? Well, no, that's that's an important step, but it's not enough. And it should be noted that the more effective a mask is, the harder it is to breathe through. And having done uh, a number of medical procedures over the years that required N95 masks for other reasons, I can attest to the fact that they are a little tough to breathe through, especially if you're doing any kind of physical physical exertion. Now, under these circumstances, that's the right move for the governor to make. But it's not enough because school children can't be expected to be as adherent to the kinds of... um, 
social distancing requirements and mask wearing that you might expect an adult to adhere to. So we need to do everything else we can. And there are so many other reasons to provide air purifiers to our, our teachers and our students that um, the answer to your question is no, it's not enough. And we should be doing this uh, not only for the pandemic, for, but for all the other reasons that, we, uh, that we've mentioned before. Well, your group, Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment, estimated it would cost 30 to $40 million to outfit classrooms statewide. Seems like a small price. Well, not only is it a small price, but it can be paid for by the federal government. Some of the money that was set aside by Congress last year could be devoted to this, and, and Utah taxpayers wouldn't have to pay actually an, an additional nickel towards this. But I, I should mention that we started making this recommendation two years ago. And in the pre-pandemic America, our request was born of hundreds of studies that revealed air pollution is toxic to the brain, directly impairing students' ability to learn. And so now in the pandemic situation, there's even more an urgency to embrace that idea. And now we're, we're almost all able to recognize it if you have eyes and nose or a set of lungs that you can recognize that we have spiraled into a new air pollution era. We're having persistent air quality issues throughout the summer. And sometimes we've had the worst air pollution in the world as recently as seven or eight days ago. So for all of those reasons now converging on, on us at once, school opening, uh, the impact of air pollution, the pandemic, and now uh, all the evidence that shows that air pollution mitigation is necessary for our kids to get the most out of school. The time for adopting this policy is right now. And Dr. Tom Nelson, ER doc with Intermountain in Salt Lake. Let's bring you into the conversation and ask your thoughts on this as a board member of Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment, but also a father. I echo a lot of the sentiments that uh, Brian just brought up. Um, <clears throat> training uh, medical school on the East Coast and then residency on the West Coast and then coming back to Salt Lake City to start a family. Um, my wife was really horrified at our air quality situation. And I think I had grown accustomed to it growing up here, but it took a fresh perspective of someone who wasn't from the area to kind of say, wow, this is a major issue. And you hit the nail on the head. I'm, um, I've now got two kids and as much as I love this place and I want to raise my family here, our air quality has become prohibitive to doing such. Um, I think a lot of times there's a tendency for people to kind of put situations that are out of sight, out of their mind. Um, polar ice caps are melting, but that doesn't affect me here in Utah, so why should I worry about it? And this is especially true when it comes to our, our health. Um, numerous examples, the, the diabetic who doesn't think about their blood sugars because they can't see them, or the person with high blood pressure who's not worried about their high blood pressure because they can't see that number on a on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, for a long time, air quality was kind of out of sight, out of mind. We knew it was a problem, but we had blue skies, and it's a great place to live here in Salt Lake, and so we didn't think about it. Just like Brian just said, th those days are now over. If you have eyes and a nose and a set of lungs, you can see that our air quality situation is, and it seems like it's past the point of no return in a lot of ways. And the time to act is right now. We can't reverse the damage that we've already done, but there are steps we can take 
to um, help mitigate the problem and allow us to raise families in Salt Lake City and something like air purifiers in schools are, are a great first step. Well, Dr. Mensch, air, pur- air purifiers not only decrease the particulate you're inhaling, but they decrease transmission rates of infectious diseases and we're about to head into a flu season on top of a pandemic. <clears throat> Viruses can attach themselves to these little tiny air pollution particles and they can obviously uh, hitch a ride and be carried through the atmosphere longer distances. Plus in a situation of air pollution, there is actually a decrease in ultraviolet light that otherwise would act as, as a control on the life expectancy of the virus. So for at least a couple of reasons, we know that air pollution can actually extend the atmospheric distribution of the virus. And then there are multiple other biologic impacts of air pollution that increase both the transmissibility, the severity, and the potential lethality of the virus. Air pollution increases the permeability of cells that line the respiratory tract, allowing easier penetration by the virus. Uh, Air pollution allows the virus a greater chance to replicate by decreasing the immune response of the body and by decreasing the ability of white blood cells to scavenge the virus and by decreasing the activity of antioxidants. So both from an acute and a chronic perspective, air pollution increases a person's vulnerability to the virus in the first place, as well as increases their risk of having a more severe outcome from it. So in in an era where we're struggling to come up with the appropriate public health measures to protect the population from the pandemic, and now with schools opening, protect our school children and our teachers, this is such, I mean, we call this, a request of ours, pardon the pun, a no-brainer. Well, speaking of the brain, Dr. Nelson, we know what happens when we send a child to school without breakfast. Um, Is there a corresponding impact on the brain when the air is so bad and we've got COVID on top of it? Right. So viral infections notwithstanding, which we just touched on, there are immediate and long-term consequences of poor air quality on children. And there is an avalanche of data to get into it would um, certainly surpass the time we have on this show. I would encourage people to go to our website, Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment, and see the many hundreds of peer-reviewed articles that we have scoured through. And you're exactly right. There's, There's data that shows that there's sort of a neurotoxic effect on an immediate level on school children. Um, when they're exposed to air pollution. And as we know, outdoor air pollution becomes indoor air pollution. So if we're sending our children to schools uh, in in an air pollution type environment, there are immediate effects um, that have been shown with lower test scores. Um, But there's also long-term effects too. There's uh, recent research that I was looking at that shows the long-term health consequences on children after just days of exposure to high levels of particulate matter effects on things like the cardiovascular system, for example. And really, you can see the, the consequences, not just on the brain and the ability to function in school on a day-to-day level, but also long-term. And as these children grow up, every major organ system is going to be adversely affected by, by poor air quality. And Dr. Mench, as you said, you've been calling for this for two years. 
And here in Utah, we like to do things for the children. We like to do things the Utah way. What's your, what's your call to lawmakers or the governor in particular to release the funds and get these air purifiers into schools? Well, it, it, we're in a situation where the, the legislature doesn't even have to cough up the money. They can just have it directed from the federal government right now. Now, that's not normally the case, but even if, if, even if we all had to pay as taxpayers all of this money out of our pockets, we're still only talking about 30 to $40 million. That, statewide, that's minuscule. I, th I think a couple of specific studies are worth mentioning. One is uh, <clears throat> research was done on some healthy volunteers where they put them in a situation where they're exposed acutely to relatively high levels of diesel exhaust. And then they measured the amount of cortical stress in their brain through EEG monitoring. And they found that within 15 to 30 minutes, the brain showed evidence of stress, inflammation, that decreases brain function and ability to learn. So translate that um, experimental situation into a real life situation where you dump a bunch of kids into a bus and you send them to school and they've been in that bus for 45 minutes and some of it's traffic and some of their exposure is the exhaust from the bus actually getting in the cabin. They arrive at school in a situation where they're already at a disadvantage to learn because their brain is already somewhat inflamed. Their cerebral cortex is already not functioning the way it should, so they can't learn as well. Other studies showed, in fact, the amount of pollution that kids were exposed to on the way to school impaired their ability to learn on that very same day. So then combine that with other studies that show even taking air pollution out of a situation where the pollution levels are reasonably low to begin with, that then show that students' test scores improved more than if they reduce class size by 30%, more than what we call high dose tutoring. And it just becomes obvious that this is probably the most important thing we could do to improve public education in the state, even if there wasn't a pandemic. Dr. Brian Mensch and Dr. Tom Nelson of Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment. Check tonight's show notes for a link. And if you agree with their idea to put air purifiers in every classroom statewide, well, you know what to do. It's time to call your elected representatives, folks. I'm Laura Jones, and that's your radioactive summer break. I'll leave you with Summer Girl from Hyam on KRCL 90.9.